Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks, and welcome to Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, it's our monthly Q&A session for August. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome once again to my weekly podcast, and my thanks to those of you listening via the Patreon page. I really appreciate your support. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a support page where you can help me create more content by signing up to one of my reward tiers, and in return, you gain access to additional content and support from me. These start from as little as $1 per month, so I believe with the regular quality content I'm producing, $1 represents excellent value for money. If you've not yet started beekeeping and you're looking for help and assistance, pop over to my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk forward slash get started and I'll do all I can to help you out with suggestions and recommendations for you. As usual, I'll leave any relevant links for this week's podcast in the show notes. Well, it's been another mad busy week here. I've been extracting honey all week. And it's been really interesting to see the range of honey that's coming off from the different apiaries. It looks like one of the apiaries has been close to some borage. We've got some really light-coloured nectar, and the soup has filled up really quickly. I really must see if I can find the farmer responsible and give him a jar of honey. Maybe he'll plant more for next year. So this week is our monthly question and answer slot And I've a wide range of questions that have been sent in for this week, so we should just get straight into them. First up this week, it's Steve Galpin. Thanks, Steve, for the question. Hi, I've extracted and the honey is very dark. Honeydew honey was mentioned. Uh, Thoughts? So my thoughts on honeydew honey. Well, let's think. I don't think I've ever had sufficient honeydew in my supers to be able to say for sure that I've had honeydew honey in my supers. For those of you who are not familiar with honeydew, it's secreted by insects, mostly aphids, I think. But before you throw out all of your honeydew honey, remember, it is pretty much a straight-through process, so it's not like the aphids are eating it and the bees are feasting on aphid poop. Uh, This question is heading towards the gutter pretty quickly, isn't it? So basically the aphids pierce the plant with their sharp mouth parts and the sap which comes out under pressure is forced out and through the aphid pretty quickly. So what comes out is mostly what went in, if you see what I mean. No, I think probably it's best I send you to Google Scholar to check out some of the scientific papers on the subject. It's really not as bad as it sounds. Anyway, To the question, I would look to something maybe like sweet chestnut. Perhaps you have some of that locally in sufficient quantities. I know I've certainly got some sweet chestnut in some of my supers this year, and that looks pretty dark. There are obviously going to be other honeys out there that are quite dark. You could always try sampling it and taking a look at the pollen under a microscope. And uh, if you haven't got a microscope, Steve, then... You could always send me a sample and I'll do that for you. If you want to get in touch via email, we can sort something out for you. Next up is Russ Black. Hi Stuart and patrons, if you were to start beekeeping again, would you start with a polyhive or wooden? 
which size Langstroth Commercial National or other based on a hobby of a few hives rather than a business? I know each type has its own benefits and it could be down to personal preference, but as someone who is looking to start beekeeping, I would be grateful for any pearls of wisdom as to choosing a hive to start off. Many thanks. What a great question, Russ. Thanks for that. And it's one that I can see is going to open a very large can of worms. So I now have Nationals, Commercials and Langstroths. I've used Smith hives. I've had WBC hives, which are the same size frames as Nationals, but those pretty little wooden things that you see in the kind of chocolate box pictures of a country cottage. When I was a seasonal bee inspector, I inspected worry hives, or at least I tried to inspect them. Uh, It wasn't terribly successful, I have to say. I've inspected top bar hives, dadents, rose hives, and a whole heap of homemade variations. I've even inspected colonies inside an old gramophone record player case, the kind of wooden ones with the lift-up top and the uh, doors in the front. The beekeeper had put some glass sheets in so you could actually open the doors and view the frames hanging inside the box. It was uh, it was quite ingenious, really. Uh, I've also inspected a colony inside a plastic cool box that was being used as a nuke box, which is quite interesting as well. So, back to the question. If I were going to have less than 10 hives for a hobby setup rather than a business setup, I would choose commercials and top bar hives. So, before you all write in or shout at the podcast, here's my reasoning. I think the commercial beehive provides an excellent brood box area. There's certainly enough not to need a double brood setup apart from the most prolific of bees. The frames are pretty easy to handle and all of the parts have the same footprint as a national beehive, which is probably the most popular hive here in the UK. And thus spare parts and frames are relatively cheap and freely available. And you can get some real bargains at the various trade shows that we have here in the UK too. The top bar hives are just fun to play with, and I've seen some exceptional examples of bees kept in them successfully. They can be made cheaply at home with basic equipment, and probably when my back finally gives out on me, it will mean that I can continue to enjoy my love affair with beekeeping without the heavy lifting. Of course, there are drawbacks, but you could say that about most hive types available out there right now. I should probably set up a page on my website for everyone to comment on this particular question and give their own answers. I know you'll all have your own favourites and you'll have excellent reasons for why you keep that type of hive. So I'll set up a page and hand it over to you all. Next question is from Karen Alexander. Hi, Karen. Karen's question is, Hi, Stuart. After taking honey off and returning wet supers, large colonies will need feeding. How do we ensure the syrup is taken down and not stored in the super frames? And if it is taken down into the brood chamber, will it leave less space for the queen to prepare winter brood? Karen, that's a great question. Thank you very much indeed. The best thing I can do is to explain how I proceed with my commercial hives and those I use on a single brood box without the addition of a super. I know a lot of people 
are using nationals and they provide a super of sugar syrup to help the bees over winter but I'm on commercials so here's what I do and you can adapt this process to suit your own situation so this week I've extracted and the wet supers will all be back on the hives by the end of the weekend I put them above the crime board so that the bees are encouraged to take the honey back down into the brood box remember the brood nest area will gradually begin to shrink back over the coming weeks so more space will become available for the bees to store the syrup next week towards the end of the week i'll drive around and remove all of the now dry supers and then i'll start my varroa treatments where necessary this year the treatments are a six week treatment i'm not using the mitoweight quick strips this year they were a bit hit and miss last year and i did lose several queens because of them once we get to the first week of september i'll inspect all the colonies checking for food stores and feed those that are short of stores during mid to late September with heavy sugar syrup, attempting to get the syrup into the brood nest before the ivy comes into flower, as this can be a bit problematic when it granulates hard in the brood frames. So that's it, that's my routine for preparing the colonies with treatments and food stores for the winter. I'll also carry out an inspection to check the laying pattern of the queen to make sure all is okay, but otherwise they'll be set up ready to go through the winter and into next spring so to answer your question karen to ensure that the syrup is taken down into the brood chamber i completely remove all of the supers ian haslam has three questions for me this month ian says hi stuart extracting how do you deal with granulated comb well quite simply i cut the comb from the frames and melt it down in my appy melter which is a large heated stainless steel box that i use for uncapping and also as a warming cabinet during the winter months there's absolutely no point in trying to put the comb into an extractor once the honey is granulated all i end up doing is smashing comb against the side of the extractor so yeah it just gets cut out and put into the appy melter in second question when feeding syrup at what rate do you anticipate it being taken would a half a gallon feeder bucket last a week or do we need to check after a day or two why not use a miller bulk feeder so this is a really tricky question ian and of course it will vary dramatically from colony to colony i've got colonies that will gorge themselves on syrup filling every possible cell and then other colonies that will barely touch it right up until late september Generally, I would wait to feed for the winter until a little later. I wouldn't start feeding yet. You run the risk of the colony packing away stores across the brood nest, and that can restrict the queen from laying and reduce the number of workers available going into the winter. Better to wait until later in August and into September, and that's certainly what I do, and it seems to work fine for me. Remember, though, your location and local conditions may dictate that you follow a different path to this so check out what other local experienced beekeepers are doing near you and go with their lead so ian's final question is i'm planning to move four hives to a new out apiary are there any timing issues with respect to setting them up for winter i.e once supers are cleaned or varroa treatments have been started or completed so for me ian the biggest issue when moving hives is purely the weight of them so as long as the supers have been extracted 
They can be moved at any time, really. I guess it would be easiest to move them once the bees have cleaned out any wet supers that you've put back on, so you can remove those and just have less to carry. But it shouldn't do any harm to move them while you have a treatment on them, for instance. Our next question comes from Phil Rogers. Hi, Stuart. On completion of extracting and after the supers have been cleaned dry, what, if anything, do you favour to prevent wax moth, i.e. B401, or acetic acid, etc. Well, thanks for the question, Phil. My method of storing supers is pretty straightforward, really. Once they're extracted, returned to the hives and cleaned out, I remove them and stack them in the apiary on a pallet. I place a travel screen top and bottom. Actually, it's just a piece of mesh the same as used for the open mesh floors, and that allows air to flow through them to prevent damp and mould, but it keeps out all but the tiniest of bugs. I can't recall ever having a wax moth problem with them, and although I've considered using acetic acid to fumigate a stack of supers for Nosema, I have a couple of issues with using the stuff, really. Firstly, it's pretty corrosive, and you need to be really careful with it. And secondly, you need to use a fairly large amount per stack. So the National Bee Unit suggests 600 mils for a stack of five supers, So it would take a really large quantity for me to treat all of my supers. And I think economically it's probably not viable, but I wouldn't want that amount of acetic acid kicking around uh, in my apiaries. I find that standing them out in the apiary allows the cold to get into them, and hopefully that kills off any bugs over winter. Oh, and yes, I put a roof on top to stop the wet weather from getting into the stack. Our next question is from Christopher Hindle. Do you think a tendency to produce excess propolis is something that can be bred out by changing the race of queen or simply trying a new queen? Or is it a consequence of environmental factors like a lot of resinous trees near the apiary? Hi Chris and thanks for the question. I'm guessing you have a colony that's producing plenty of propolis this season. It's something that varies from colony to colony, so swapping out the queen would work. But for me it's a trait that falls very low on my list. I'd rather have calm bees that forage well and have good resistance and overwinter well, that kind of thing, and put up with the extra propolis rather than swap out the queen and maybe get low levels of propolis but end up with angry bees. You never know what you're going to end up with when you swap out a queen, and I wouldn't want to risk it with an otherwise healthy colony. Maybe you could harvest the propolis and sell it. Another question from Christopher. Having extracted my honey for the second year running, I have left the wet extractor about 20 metres from the apiary for the bees to clean out. And both years I've found a heap of dead and dying bees at the bottom of the extractor. The rhabdomens seem darker than usual and I wonder if they have simply gorged themselves so much that they cannot fly back to their hives. Any ideas? Well, I know that some beekeepers do allow this kind of open feeding of honey from their extraction equipment, but I really wouldn't recommend it. The dead bees usually result from getting stuck in the residual honey and just getting clogged up with honey externally, and then they're unable to fly, and you really don't want that. You're also inviting bees and wasps from your local area to descend on your apiary, and that could set up robbing of any smaller colonies that you have in your apiary, and who knows what diseases they may be bringing along with them. I just wouldn't take the risk. Take your equipment out into the garden, hose it down with clean cold water late in the evening, then grab a bucket of warm soapy water and wash everything down. 
take apart all of your kit, give it a good thorough wash, and then rinse it and dry, ready to be stored neatly for the next extraction. And finally, from Fran Barham, question from Bucks. Do you think there is any point in keeping supers on the hives? No. My three are well placed for suburban garden flower forage and ivy. I'm thinking that it would be no problem to leave the ones I have on until the beginning of September. Would this be okay? Like Steve Galpin, my second extraction of honey is quite dark. Most of the frames were uncapped. The measurement on my refractometer is around 15.9%, which seems low. The honey was much thicker and more difficult to extract too. I'd like comments on this. Well, hi Fran, good to hear from you again. Let's work through your question. Firstly, I would remove all supers, extract and think about autumn varroa controls. Although there are still a lot of flowers in gardens, it's nice to give the bees an opportunity to store some fresh nectar and pollen in the brood nest area, now ready for use over winter. Ivy will granulate into a rock-like substance, which the bees can find really tricky to utilise, so I wouldn't rely on ivy as a food source for the bees over winter. With the incredibly hot summer we've had, I'm not surprised the refractometer is showing low water content in your honey. For those of you who are new to beekeeping, we can check the water content of our honey using an instrument called a refractometer. Ideally, we want the honey to be nicely below 20%. This prevents it from fermenting in the bucket or jar. I've extracted honey this week and have levels similar to you, Fran, so I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. It just means that you get more sticky sweetness on your breakfast toast. And who's going to complain about that? Next week, I'm out into the apiaries with varroa treatments for some of my colonies. So I'll update you on how that's all going, the type of treatments that I'm going to be using, and all of the info relating to that treatment and how it works. And if you do have any questions, then please do fire them off either on my website or on the Patreon page. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and we'll catch up soon. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. <laughs>